0: kids played soccer this year, my two oldest kids. I've talked about this a little bit. Um, I have three kids. My two oldest, Finley and Jones, are six and four, and they played soccer. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched little kids play soccer, but it looks like a swarm of bees. And there's, there's usually like one kid on every team that's just way better, and then everyone else. And my kids kind of fit in the everyone else category. And, 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 and I remember Sam and Christina, their youngest kid, was on our, our, our kids' team. And I remember, you know, we're going through this long season and our kids have had a blast and they've loved the games. They love Saturday mornings getting to go play. And I remember the last game of the year where we're about halfway through the game and we're watching and, and the swarm of bees is down here and there's one kid from our team and he just he just sits down on the ground. And, and maybe you're like, I remember doing that as a kid. Like, I remember being that kid or like, that's my nephew. Like, I, I remember that. And so um, I, I was watching this game and it was so funny because he's, you know, four years old and it's just harmless. It's been a long season, been a long day. It's hot outside. And in the middle of the game, you just sit down. I'm looking over at his parents and they're just like, you know, smiling, like they're not worried about it, as they shouldn't have been, right? Like if you're, if you're worried about your four-year-old sitting on the soccer field, we need to have a talk, right? Like there's some things going on in your heart. And so they're handling it appropriately. But I'm just watching this kid sit on the field and it just kind of hits me, man, it is it is possible to be in the game, but not in the game. Right? Like it's possible to be wearing the jersey and wearing the cleats and on the team and, and in the game, but not in the game. And we're going somewhere with that thought today. Um, you know, we, we've been in this series called For the City. And it's this idea that the fall as a church family, we're, we're really wanting to press into this idea that, that as the people of God, we've always been about allowing the goodness of God to flow through us not for our own good, but for the sake of those who don't yet know and love God. So we started three weeks ago by, by looking at this passage in Matthew chapter 13. And it was all about, all about the heart, all about the, the things that prevent us and the people that we're trying to help come to know Jesus. Um, the, it's all about the things that prevent us from bearing fruit in the kingdom. Right, all about the heart. Two weeks ago, we, we got up in the middle of teaching. We went to Kroger and, and we went and, and we bought a bunch of groceries for a food pantry in the neighborhood because that's what the people of God do. They, they meet real needs when they discover that people are, are hungry in our city. We don't just go to sleep at night peacefully. We go, man, that, that bothers us, that, 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 that I'm sleeping in this house and I have tons of food, but there are people in my own city that, that aren't, aren't being fed, that their are children that aren't being fed. And so as the people of God, we went and we did something about it. And last week, we looked at this really easy passage of scripture, if you're here with us, where we talked about the wheat and the weeds, how, how every person in life is on one of two paths. And because that is true, you're either walking towards Jesus, you're either walking towards heaven, or you're, or you're actively walking against Jesus and the things that he is for. And, and because that is reality, it shapes us, it, it prioritizes things for the people of God that, that we don't just deal casually without, that it goes into our hearts and it changes every part of who we are. So today, I want to talk about this idea, as you might have picked up on 1 Corinthians 7. And just for lack of a better turn, I want to talk about what it means to steward our status. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids. And doing this for the sake of the city. You know, this is an aspect where many Christians today... And this is not an indictment on our church family. This is just an indictment on, on greater Christianity and, and maybe not even Christianity, but just people in America. Um, man, this is a, a place where we're missing it. That, that culture has shaped God's people way more than Christ has. That so many Christians are, they're on the field, they're, they're wearing the cleats, they're wearing the uniform, but they're, but they're sitting on the ground. They're not playing the game. And today it's my hope that, that if you are sitting down spiritually, if you come here and, and, and you, your, your life has kind of been hit on pause, you're, you're waiting for what's next. You're going, man, when, whenever I get married, then I'm going to get serious about Jesus. Or whenever I have kids, then I'm going to get serious about Jesus. Or whenever the, what, whatever it is that, that we like to fill in the blank, that there are so many of us that, that are waiting on the what next. And we're missing the right now. You're missing the game. You're missing the action. You're missing the beast form right now, what God is doing. And so today we're going to talk about what this looks like. Chip is awesome, Logan, Jill. You guys did a great job. He's awesome. (laughs) Don't apologize. We're glad he's here. Um, We're gonna talk about what this means and and how it affects your teammates, how it affects us when when we choose to sit on the field. Think about this passage, this parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. And he tells a story of of a man that was going on a journey. and, And as he was going on a journey, it says that he entrusted his wealth to three different servants, and the expectation as he as he went away on this business trip, as he was giving this the, the wealth to his servants, is that is that they would not just sit on the things that he had given to them, but that but they, that they would put it to work. That the whole idea is that that they wouldn't just concentrate on on not losing it, but that they would they would they would invest it, they would use it, they would multiply it for the sake of their master. And so he returns. And two out of the three servants he's incredibly pleased with. And he looks at them, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. He says, you've been faithful with what I've given to you. Often this parable, if you ever heard that parable before in Matthew chapter 25, it's used to to talk about spiritual gifts or it's used to talk about money. But today I wanna suggest that maybe the parable is more than just about those things. I wanna suggest that the parable is about everything that we've been given in life, primarily the gospel, as the people of God, but everything we've been given. And then the point of the parable is that you and I begin to understand that the, the, the gospel on a deep heart level, that, that Christ loves us, that Christ forgives us, that Christ has seated us, that Christ has spoken his identity over us, that we are his daughters, that we are the sons of the most high God, and that, that we begin to, out of the overflow of who we are, man, we begin to offer everything into God's hands. That we take everything that we've been given and we use it and we invest it and we put it to work to grow the kingdom one person at a time. So that one day when we stand face to face in Jesus, like Rachel, one day when you stand face to face in Jesus, he looks at you and he says, well done, my faithful servant. Hercula, well done, my faithful servant. You've been faithful what I've given to you. And so today I want to look specifically at what we've been given in terms of our status. Okay, here's a disclaimer. I spent a lot of time the past few weeks um, prepping for today. So if you don't like it, it's not my fault. It's other people's fault, right? Um, and if you do like it, it's not because of me. It's because of other people, right? So, um, but, but literally, I wanted to just kind of say this in the front end. I, I spent a lot of time listening to, to Francis and Lisa Chan and uh, this guy named John Tyson and this man named John Piper and, and Tim Keller and um, talked to my sister, Sarah, who, who sent a ton of good resources my way, Andy Downs and, and just uh, people. So I've, I've just been kind of drinking from a fire hydrant today. So we're gonna go two hours today, if that's okay with you guys. Just kidding, no. Um, just, just an hour. Um, um, no, I, I want to start by, 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 by speaking to, to those of you who are single right now and then speak to, to those of you who are married. And what I hope to do is, is to to begin looking at the lies that we believe, the lies that, that we've been told. And this is not gonna be comprehensive, right? Like I'm, I don't have all this stuff figured out. I'm just trying as a pastor to help uh, equip us and unleash us to be people of God in God's city. And so this is not gonna be some comprehensive study, but I've, but I've done what I could today to get where we are. And so I wanna spend some time uh, addressing the lies and the that we've been told. And then I wanna look at just a couple different passages of scripture. So we're gonna be turning around some in, in, in our Bibles today. And so you might wanna have those ready. Um, as, as we jump in. And so um, I want to start by just talking to those of you who are single and uh, addressing kind of some of the lies. You don't have to write these down, but I just want to, to, to invite you to listen to these, these five kind of narratives that have been told to us and see what you think about them. The first is this. Maybe a lie that single people believe. Marriage fixes you. It fixes every problem that you have. It fulfills your every desire. First lie. Second lie. People who are married are more mature than single people. Second lie. Third lie. Single people are selfish, not willing to give and sacrifice for what is required for marriage. Third lie. Fourth lie. I must have done something wrong to be single. God must not be pleased with me, the fifth lie. Once I get married, then I'll get serious about God. Just to think about those lies for a minute, the way maybe you've been impacted by one of them or all of them, or maybe none of them, maybe a different lie, but I wanna start off today by just saying a, a a lot of single sisters and brothers in our church family, Um, have been really hurt by things that have been said and by things that have been shown in church. There's just been a lack of sensitivity. And I wanna just say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if our church or if any church has ever made you feel like you were less than or like you weren't equal or that you didn't matter as much as other people. I'm sorry if there were questions that were asked and curiosity arose about your next step where the assumption is, hey, once you get married or have kids, then you'll be complete, then you'll matter. I'm, I'm sorry. And I wanna just kind of cut through all of, of this, all the lies, all of the, all of the hurt with just the truth. Okay, and and I can list out those five things because I I know the reality is uh, the greatest combatant, the greatest extinguisher to those lies that that tend to just get into our heads and into our hearts that shape us and distort us, the the, the greatest uh, combatant to, to the lie that you have to be married or that being married is the end goal of every Christian, the greatest combatant to that is Jesus himself, who was himself a single man, Talk about the epitome of what God wanted, what God desires for his people. The selflessness of Jesus, the maturity of Jesus, the favor that rested on Jesus. I love this moment in Matthew chapter 17. It wasn't at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It was towards the end of his ministry where he goes up on this mountain and it says that, that this cloud appears on the mountain and the father speaks to him and he says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now think about this. Like Rachel, at your baptism, did the father show up and say that to you? Like was Mary Beth going, I remember that day Rachel got baptized. And it's like, right, as good as, as good as you are, Mitchell, Right? Like, that, that, that you've never like been hanging out with your friends and the clouds ripped open and you heard those words. There was something exemplary about Jesus. Right? Like, he is the model, he is the standard. And if somehow you have believed that, that being single is inferior or lacking or incomplete, Jesus' life comes up against every bit of that. You look at Paul. Right? Maybe the greatest evangelist to ever live? A single man. It's not just their their lives, which would be totally enough. Our, our lives speak so much more. Right? Our, our, li- our lives speak what we believe. They're so important. The, the very things that we do. And so just the way that Jesus chose to live his life and Paul chose to live. But it's not that we're just looking at their lives. Today I want to look at their teachings because they're very important things that, that I think we've been shaped more by culture than by Christ. And so I want to invite you to turn real quick to Matthew chapter 19. It's on page 689 if you're using one of our Bibles, Matthew chapter 19. I want to look at this, uh, this teaching of Jesus and I want to look at real quickly at a teaching of Paul and then we'll wrap up the single piece and move into the married piece. And so Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is having this conversation and, and these um, the, the Pharisees, they're the, these people who are trying to... Um, to justify themselves by their own moral living. And they come to Jesus and they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. And so they, they're having this conversation about, about marriage and divorce and, and remarriage. And, and, and they get in this conversation and they said, hey, Jesus, is it okay for, for a man to divorce a woman? Is it okay for a woman to divorce a man? In our culture, that's just what's happening. It's okay, like even Moses permitted it. And, and Jesus goes, it was not this way from the beginning. That, that when a man and a woman come together in marriage, they, they shouldn't separate. Like what God has joined together, let no one pull apart. And then his disciples, they say this outrageous thing. They say, man, if that's the case, then a man and a woman shouldn't get married, right? Like their culture was so messed up that they just thought, man, if my husband isn't pleasing me, if my wife isn't pleasing me, I'll just go right to the next person, right? That sounds kind of familiar in our culture, right? And the disciples are confronted with the truth and they go, man, if that's the case, People shouldn't get married. And then Jesus says these interesting words. In verse 11, he says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. John Tyson says this, that it's, it's beautiful that Jesus is aware of the intersex, uh, intersex cultural conversations that were happening in their day. That Jesus understood there was some complexity involved in in people's lives. So there are eunuchs that are born that way. He goes on to say this there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. You know, I'll say this um, this is not a, a conversation that Jesus is having about sexual orientation. Right, in our culture, there's so much confusion and and there's so much backwardness, you know, like what is going on? Jesus is not addressing, hey, you get to decide who you want to be and who you are. That's not what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 19. He's just understanding, it shows that he has this understanding that there are some situations in our world where where things are a little bit complex. But what he's saying is that that you were born a man, you're born a woman. He says, and some people are made eunuchs by others' choices. And what he's talking about there is in the first century and before that, that so often kings who were in charge would be married or they would have concubines. And so they would literally have their male slaves castrated. You think you have a hard boss, right? You think you have a bad boss. And they did this so that they could trust him. Right? So Jesus is, is giving us some insight here. But, but that's not what I wanna talk about today. The third piece of this sentence is what I want us to really hone in on. And he says, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs. Listen to this. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can accept this should accept it. What is Jesus saying there? He's not endorsing, hey, if you wanna have a sex change, go have a sex change. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, those, there are those who are choosing to live like eunuchs. This is not about uh, orientation. This is about kingdom. He's saying that there are some people whose, whose lives and whose hearts are so sold out to the kingdom of God that they're choosing to, to pursue that and to pursue that only instead of choosing to pursue sex or choosing to pursue a spouse. He says, those who, should, who can accept this should accept that. Listen to those words. That's not the tale that we've been told in our culture. We grew up watching Disney movies. We grew up watching our favorite TV shows. All the songs that are written are all about the girl getting the guy, the guy pursuing the girl. Right? It's all this just giant love story. And so we are told all aspects from different culture that that you need someone else to complete you. And what Jesus is, is saying in Matthew chapter 19 is that if you can accept a life of celibacy for the kingdom of God, accept it. Wow. Jesus elevates those who choose singleness. It's not those who have missed out. It's not people you should feel sorry for. It's, it's, the, it's the giants in the kingdom. It's those who are saying, you know what? I know that there's physical pleasure and there's joy to be had in this world, but my heart is so set on Christ and I'm, my heart is so set on his kingdom that I'm giving the entirety of my life to bringing his kingdom down. Jesus is not putting down single people like we do in culture. He's elevating single people. Paul comes along, 1 Corinthians 7, which, Brian, you did a great job reading. And he supplements what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. He says this line in in verse 29. He says, the time is short. You think about this, when when, maybe when you were going off to college or when you were moving to to your first big girl, big boy job, you're moving to a different city, The, the closer that you get to that day, man, it prioritizes things for you, right? Like if you know that, that you're leaving, you wanna eat at all your favorite restaurants and see your favorite people. You're not just trying to hang out with, with, with anyone, right? You, want, you, you wanna give your absolute best to maximize that time. And Paul is saying, the time is short. Christ is knocking on the door. They're, the day of Christ's return is close. And when you understand this, it prioritizes things for God's people. And he said two things that, and we could spend all day in 1 Corinthians 7, but I just want to give us a couple of highlights in in here, the, the, the benefits that Paul impacts of choosing to not be married. The first is in verse 28, and this is a little humorous, but it's also really true that you're free from many troubles. Verse 28, he says, You'll be free from many troubles. Now, here's what he's not saying He's not saying that as a single person, you'll never have troubles. I know that it's hard. The loneliness, the sexual side of things, just the the, the hardness of that. I know that it's hard. I know that you endure lots of hurtful words and expectations from your family, from coworkers, and from other Christians. Paul's not saying you don't have any struggles. What he is saying is that there are many struggles that come with marriage that you don't have to opt into, (laughs) that you get to be free from. Paul's a single guy writing this, which means that he spent a lot of time with, with guys who were in just rough marriages. And I can imagine as he's writing this, he's thinking, man, you don't have to choose this. Like once you're in, you have to keep choosing it, right? That's not what I'm saying. Like, but as he's writing to, to those who are unmarried, it's a trouble that you don't have to face. Marriage is hard. Man, it's hard. Lots of hard days. Lots of hard moments. Your spouse Goes through major faith struggles. Your spouse walks away from the Lord. Could you imagine how hard that is? The context of, of, of a marriage where you're one, where there where there's no escaping, where you're not leaving, where, where you give your word, which means that when things get hard, you don't get to leave. And Paul is going, think well about the decision to get married. Not to scare you. This is the reality. You know, you think your family has drama? Get in-laws. And I have amazing in-laws. But it comes, you don't have to step into this. You think your roommate is messy? Come hang out with my 20 month old. My life, Courtney's life is vacuuming. It's like, is this our full-time job? Like, you get to come home to a clean house hopefully. If you don't kick your roommate out, then it'll be clean. And then it's your fault if it's not. He says, I want you to understand that, that there are benefits to not being married. You're free from any troubles. The second idea is where I really want to hone in, though, because I think it's, the, it's a real power. In verse 35, it says, you have the ability to live and to have undivided devotion to God. As a single person, you have the ability to have this undivided devotion to God. You know, the potential of intimacy with the Lord is greater for those of you who are single than for those of you who are married. Purely because of time. My wife's a big Annie Downs fan. She was um, telling me about um, Annie's morning compared to what my morning looks like. And, And the benefit of of not having other people to take care of me. And you get to get up and you can start your day with the Lord. You can pray and you can read and you can allow your heart to be refreshed. And if you're not doing that, start doing that. You're missing out on the Lord. Now think about what my morning looks like. I get up every morning at five o'clock to spend time with the Lord. And a lot of mornings, um, Merritt wakes up at 5.05. <laughs> And a lot of mornings, Jones wakes up at 5.15. What kind of quiet time do you have when you have two kids up? It is no longer quiet time. The potential of intimacy with the Lord is greater for you. And I love this truth. The potential of impact on others is greater for you than for married people purely because of time. That you have the ability to make a greater impact for the kingdom because you're, you don't have the you don't have the, the 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 constraints that married people do. You know I I come here today and I'm I'm encouraged to have this this talk with our church because because I see our church doing this so stinking well. Sam and I were talking about this. It's amazing. I'm not like coming up here on Sunday morning trying to light a fire under us to like get going. No, this is like me coming along and being like, man, you're, you're doing it. Christians are doing this. There are so many people that have understood and embraced this. I think about my aunt. She's 60 years old. She's been a single lady her entire life. And I look at her life and the things that she has done for the kingdom, I'm just blown away with. And so she, she lives in Kentucky. She drives down to the women's prison to minister to the women who are incarcerated. She spends her summers traveling around all over the, all over the country, teaching people about Jesus. She spends her Sunday nights um, teaching the kids at her church about the king, about the kingdom of God. There've been so many people in her life that she's opened up her home to, to come and live with her because she has the stability and the strength that has come from God. And I look at my aunt and I'm going, there's nothing about her life that's inferior. I lift her life up as someone that I want our church to be like. Think about Nick. You guys don't know Nick Doris? Man, Nick is running hard after the king. Been leading a house church for years. He's like, there's more for me. You know, Nick has this, this passion. He's into to Dungeons and Dragons. I hope I'm not embarrassing you, Nick. I'm trying to elevate you and, and help, you, help people see how amazing a guy you are. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, if you're a single guy, hang out with Nick. If you're married you guy, hang out with Nick. Nick's going, I want to figure out ways to use this thing that I like, that I'm good at, to reach people in our city. So he goes on Craigslist and posts this ad. Anyone want to play Dungeons & Dragons? It sounds like he's asking, asking to be murdered, right? Like, <laughs> but but he, he, he's thinking about the kingdom. And so on Sunday nights, Nick is gathering with a group of guys. Why? Not to play this game. Because he's thinking creatively about how to get people in the kingdom. And I look at that and I go, yes. That's what it means to be a man set on fire for the Lord. Think about my friend, Deb. Last week we prayed over Deb. She's moved into this neighborhood to love on the kids, to pour into the kids. And I could go around the room. Seriously, there are so many of you. The things that you're doing for the kingdom. couple of implications from Jesus and Paul, both their life and their teachings. You are enough. If you're single, you're not lesser than in any way. And if anyone has made you feel that way, you come tell me. And if it's me, come confront me. And I really want to encourage you, if you're single, do not waste this time. Don't bury this talent. Don't sit down on the field. that the kingdom, that your teammates, they need you. That we need you. That we need you. And so think creatively and use your life and your time well for the kingdom. And I'll say this, if you want marriage You don't have to turn that switch off, okay? Right? Like, you hear me saying on this and you're going, I know, but I still want to be married, Brandon. You don't have to suppress that. You don't have to throw that away. But I will say this. Run hard after the kingdom. Let your priority be running after the king. And girls... If you see a man that is running harder after the king or just as hard as you, then get married to him. And guys, if if you're running hard after the kingdom and you see a girl that's running harder or just as hard as you, then marry her. You don't have to turn that off, okay? But look for the right things. Looks are gonna fade. Success comes and goes. Man, look for someone whose heart is burning for the Lord and you won't regret it. I want to address one last lie and then I'll move into marriage. Um, you know, so many of, of you, I know the question is, well, if, is God mad at me? Is he, is he holding something good? Why hasn't this come? And have and, 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 and I done something wrong? And the answer to those questions, like just generally is No. I was reminded in, in, in Luke, in my own personal study this week, I'm reading about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I remember that, 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 that here's this couple and it weighs, the way that it describes them is that they are blameless before the Lord that they kept all of his commandments. In the very next sentence, it says, and yet they were childless. And so often we try to make sense of things from culture or, or from our grandmother or whatever. And it's not from the king. That we go, hey, because I'm not married, it must mean this. Or because I don't have this, it must mean this. No. God sees your heart. Live a blameless life for him. Leave all the worry and all the concerns, all the trying to make sense of of why to him. Run hard after the king. All right, for those, let's transition uh, to marriage. Um, Three lies, narratives that others have told us that we tell ourselves. First, is this um, marriage is all about being happy? It's a lie. Second, my family is my only mission. It's a lie. Number three, I'm too busy for ministry. It's a lie. I wanna look at what, what Jesus says about marriage because I, I think like Paul, it, it kinda of comes in the face of, of what our culture says. Matthew chapter 22, you don't have to turn there, but, but, but I'll tell you about it. Jesus having this conversation and he's again trying to be backed into a corner, backed into a wall and he's having this conversation and, and, and the people are asking Jesus, Hey, at the resurrection, this, this woman has been married seven times and all of her husbands have died in, in heaven. Who's, who's husband? Who's she going to build a house with in heaven? Like, who, who's, what about the other six? And Jesus looks at these people and he says, aren't you an heir because you don't know the scriptures? He says, in, in the kingdom of heaven, when, when Christ returns, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Do you hear what he's saying there? That, that marriage is temporary. That there's an expiration date on marriage. As hard as it is to, to embrace that, we, don't have to, we can pretend like that's not true, but it's in the scriptures. That as much as I love my bride, as much as I would do anything for Courtney, there will be a day where we are not husband and wife anymore. So what do we do with that? Do we start pulling back? Do you start detaching? Or do you hold on and try to, to act like it's, that, that's not coming? No, let's, let's keep going. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus says this line about marriage, about mission, about what it looks like to, to use this life for the kingdom. He says in, in, in verse 29, he says, everyone who has left houses, Or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much want to inherit eternal life. And so I'm not pointing this out saying, hey, today, Sam, you need to leave Christine and the kids and go to Japan, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. And, and Ty, if you do that, we're gonna chase you down and kick your butt because you're about to have a baby and you need to, to be there with Dolly. And, 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 and the reality is that we've seen this done poorly, right? We've, maybe you've read this passage before. And, and, and so what happens is that, that, that people will read this verse, what we talked about last week, we'll, we'll make a Bible within the Bible, and so we'll abandon, you'll abandon your families. Maybe this was your experience with, with your parents or your siblings. Man, they started catching a glimpse for the kingdom and then they cut you off. Man, that, that, that your mom went off and she was a mom to so many others, but she wasn't a mom to you. Or your dad, man, he was the, the, the best elder or minister at your church, man, but he wasn't there to help you through your questions, through your struggles, through your sin. And our negative experiences have this way of encouraging us to kind of put up walls around the words of Jesus. And I want to encourage us that we have to take the whole of Scripture, that that we can't allow this to be the only verse that we read. Because if we do, we're going to have some very dysfunctional churches. You're going to be a very dysfunctional Christian. So we have to read the whole Bible where where Paul in Ephesians chapter five says, husbands, love your wives. Lay down your lives for your wives. Wives, do the same for your husbands. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, you go to read in the first first part of it and and he's talking about, he says, husband, pay attention to your wife's needs. Wives, pay attention to your husband's needs. Or Ephesians chapter six, it says, bring your kids up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. 1 Timothy 5 says, take care of your family. And so you you see all these passages. And so I wanted to say, if someone neglected you for the sake of the kingdom, they missed out on part of the kingdom, okay? But that doesn't mean that we get to just ignore this passage. Because what Jesus is saying is that although the the kingdom, he said, although your family is important, it's not the only important thing. That you are bigger than your family that you are here for more than your family. And I think what he means is that there are times and there are seasons where you need to go, where you gotta leave for a while. Not like move down the street into a different house. I'm talking about like short-term trips where you leave your spouse, you leave the kids to go and serve the king for a week or two. or a long-term trip where God is calling you and your family. I think about a a couple that I know that I went to school with and they they literally have three little boys. They moved their family to the Middle East because there are so many unreached people there. They moved their family there. You know, last year I I had the opportunity to go to India and to visit with our our churches over there and to pour into them. And my wife, you know, we had three little kids. Merritt was eight months old. I get this opportunity and Courtney goes, you got to go. And I'm like, yeah, but but I need to stay here and change that. she's like, you got to go. We get to be a part of what God is doing through you. That is our family. She's like, I know it's going to be harder on me, but I want you to go. She has a kingdom vision. We got to be willing to let people go in our family. Our kids go, our parents go, our spouses go. And I love this line from Paul in verse 29. It's not just Jesus. Paul has very similar words in verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. He's not undoing, okay, what he just did in the first part of 1 Corinthians 7. He's not saying like, okay, now you can just quit being married and, and start to pull away and, and quit paying attention to your spouse's needs and, and neglect your kids. That's not what he's saying. He's not undoing all that. So what is he doing? What Paul is doing is he's wanting to give us a proper kingdom understanding. Someone real fast. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, and the first one that, that gets there, we just stand up and read that. I'd love for us to to hear these words together. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten yeah, one more person, just read that. 2 Corinthians five verse ten. us to hear this. Thank you guys for, for reading that, that, that for those of you who are married, listen to this, your wife, your husband will stand in front of Jesus Christ one day and give account for the way they live their lives. Which means that that marriage is so much more than just about being happy and going on fun dates and vacations and having good sex. Those things are all good. But Paul's wanting us to have a bigger kingdom, more accurate perspective. If you're married, support your spouse in doing as much good for the kingdom as they possibly can. And it's not about building up your resume. It's not about um, uh, so that they stand face-to-face with Jesus one day and they've got this, these accolades of, of accomplishments. No, it's because you understand that the, the best things in life come when we choose to support the one that we've made covenant with, to chase hard after the king. Your spouse is your partner. Help them run well in the kingdom. Bolster them, bless them. When they feel the call of God on their life to, to start serving, right? With, with the Boys and Girls Club with Deb, or to start pouring into their, their coworkers instead of just thinking about you and what's going to cost you, think about the kingdom. And it doesn't mean that you need to be serving, you know, seven nights a week and disconnecting. Take care of your wife, take care of your husband, take care of your kids, be present, be faithful to the covenants that you've made. But it's bigger than just that, okay? And as married couples, people with children, invite people into your home. That, that God has, has given you something that, that the world needs. That you have neighbors around you. That, 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 that there are people that, that, that have kids and they, they need to come into your house and they need to see what it looks like to, to love your spouse and to raise godly children. If you're married, you need to be having people in your home, practice hospitality, clean up your house, cook for people, invite them in, serve them. If you have kids, man, you need to be out and about the places that you live, connecting with families that have kids. They need to see what it looks like to raise kids in a godly way. So those of you who are married, when, when, when you feel called to lead a house church, I know that it's a lot. I know that it's a lot to, to, to give up a night before to clean your house and to get things ready, but it's worth it. Have a kingdom perspective. And I love this Ex- exactly, man. This church is filled with married couples, with people with, with children that are just doing this so well. Think about Caleb and Rochella. I'm gonna embarrass them. Apparently, you need to be, if you want to be blessed, you need to sit back there today because that's where all the blessings coming. But You know, Caleb and Rochelle are about to have their second kid, and they're also uh, about to be foster parents. Now, who does that? It's like they have two kids of their own, and they're going, man, we we want more. There are kids that need to be served. Who does that? Someone who has a glimpse of the kingdom. Think about Stephen and Kirsten. They're not here this morning. They work on a college campus, and they're constantly having college students in their home because they know how hard life can be when you're in college. They spend their summers traveling the nations because they have that flexibility. And I just want to encourage us, man, if if you're a married couple, leverage it all for the kingdom. Don't bury the talents. Your kids will help you connect with people that you'll never be able to. And the coworkers that your spouse have, they're going to open doors into the kingdom that, that you never would have. Don't sit on the field all the games being played. Imagine what happens when we catch that glimpse, when we understand that it's our goal together to get as many people into the kingdom as possible. And it's not just about coming here on Sunday and, 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 and seeing people that we love. It's about being filled up and sent out to a world that needs Jesus. So how can we use everything that we've been given for the kingdom? couple of quick pieces of application, then we're done. Being single, being married, having kids is not your central role, uh, your central place of identification. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Second of this, don't grow weary in doing good. Just like Sarah was talking this morning, call to worship. If you're tired, if you're weak, um, don't turn to Netflix. Don't turn to video games. Don't t- turn to Jesus, the one who refills you let's keep going. Let's not grow weary in doing good. And we're going to take communion here. This is the third piece. And I want to just invite you to think about what is is something in your life that you're holding on to that you need to let go of for the sake of the kingdom? Maybe it's something that is just sucking up all of your free time. What is something that is a hindrance to you being fully set on fire to the kingdom? And as we take communion, I want to invite you to share that, to share that with someone around you. If you don't know, just spend a few minutes praying and asking God, is there anything in my life that is keeping me from being on fire for the kingdom? I invite you this week to start evaluating, hey, how am I spending my time? How much time do I spend on Instagram? How much time do I spend just looking at the computer, looking at the TV, like when I could be investing in people and my coworkers, I could be praying, I could be reaching out to people in my house church. Let's be a people that are set on fire for the city. I'll pray for us and we'll take communion. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning, for all these men and these women, these children. God, would you help us to be your people? Um, thank you for... Um, just what you're doing, God. I pray that if I said anything today that was not from you, that was off, that you would allow my sister and brother to talk to me and that you would allow it to be forgotten. God, but if there are things that, as much as we don't like them, if they're truthful, let them stick. Let us be shaped by you more than our culture. We love you, King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.